praise you and that we can rejoice and use them to communicate with you, to talk with you, to praise you and worship you. Pray that you would open our eyes to your word this morning. Give us insight that we can use to know you better and to live our lives better. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this morning, I'm going to start off with, oh, possibly some tough, penetrating, maybe heart-revealing questions. Don't answer out loud. But have you ever felt in some way that you're just growing a little bit distant from God? Just kind of, you know, moving in in, in a way that's, you're losing maybe some interest or the things of the Lord aren't drawing you in like they usually do. Like the joy in your Christian life or friendships or activities kind of seem to be slipping away and becoming less a part of your focus. And then those things that are not supposed to be part of a Christian lifestyle, maybe they're becoming more attractive. And things you had no trouble staying away from, you know, because they would hurt your Christian lifestyle, are beginning to be more and more uh, attractive to you, piquing your curiosity. And it may even be that a person that should be off limits to you is now starting to take up residence in your thoughts. And God seems to be more distant. And maybe you even begin questioning long-held truths. Maybe doubts about God or Christian practices or beliefs once held firmly, they don't feel so firm anymore. And I'm just naming things that happen to some of us from time to time and that we kind of have to go through those or we, we do go through those. If you have had any of those kind of thoughts, you certainly aren't the first follower of Christ to have them. Our human makeup is weak. We've all been tainted by sin. Sin has, you know, come in and really thrown the world off course. And even after we turn to Jesus Christ as our Savior, our flesh still beckons us to succumb to sinful thoughts and impulses and actions and decisions. And we also know that we have this enemy who would like to trap us with his wiles any way that he can, a powerful enemy, one who knows us, you know, very well. And he's the king of all wickedness. And so we all, we have that, you know, to guard ourselves against or to brace ourselves against. And the reason I bring this up is because we are finishing this morning our time in uh, the book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet to the nation of Israel back in the 700s B.C. He prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel, which in the book of Hosea it's often mentioned as Ephraim because that was the major city in the northern kingdom at that time. 
and he's preaching to the northern kingdom of Israel, and Israel had moved far, far away from their devotion to God. You know, things kind of go up and down over the history of Israel and people. And Israel at this point was not in a good place. They were living as a whole completely unfaithful to their covenant with God. And then that is why God had his prophet Hosea. He told her to go marry a prostitute. And he's going to show Israel how they were to him. Just like the prostitute was to Hosea, who's supposed to be her husband. And apparently she did not quit prostituting. And so this was a picture to Israel of how he saw them as his covenant partners. And in this book of Hosea, we've seen how God brings judgment on his people for their unfaithfulness, for breaking the covenant, for not respecting the covenant, not respecting God. And it's all done to bring his bride back to him. So he brings the judgment in to get their minds turned back toward him. So we're going to look into these final chapters, the last three chapters of Hosea, and we can see God dealing with the unfaithfulness of his people. And we can see what unfaithfulness does to the person who goes down that pathway. And so as I asked, you know, have you ever felt yourself just kind of moving, getting distant from God? This will show us that we need to stop at that point and not let it just continue, but get back into closeness with God. And in chapter 14, we're going to see God's heart toward those who have strayed. So we're going to start with the very last verse in chapter 11 of Hosea. And then we'll move into chapter 12 and the first six verses. And here it says, Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, Israel with deceit, and Judah is unruly against God, even against the faithful Holy One. Ephraim was the north kingdom, the, the, the name they gave, the north kingdom in some, some sense. And then Judah is the southern kingdom. Ephraim feeds on the wind. He pursues the east wind all day and multiplies lies and violence. He makes a treaty with Assyria and sends olive oil to Egypt. So Ephraim, you know, they're just trying to capture the wind and... They're using lies, violence, and they're going to other nations for their needs instead of going to the Lord, who is their king, who is the one supposed to be leading, they're going, supposed to be going to and who's leading them. The Lord has a charge to bring against Judah. He will punish Jacob according to his ways and repay him according to his deeds. And now he's going to be calling Ju- Judah Jacob, going back to the patriarch Jacob, <clears throat> and kind of Uh, showing how they followed a similar pathway. He's he's using that as a lesson, as a teaching. He's He's talking about Jacob now. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. So Jacob is struggling against God up until a certain point in his life. 
Then he meets this angel, wrestles with him, and there he kind of comes into an understanding of how he should be relating to God. The Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name. But you must return to your God. And he's talking about you must do what Jacob did as he went back to the land, to the promised land, and he returned to his God. You must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. So he's talking to the nation of Israel, you know, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. He's comparing Israel's relationship to himself with Jacob's journey. You know, at first he ran from Esau and ran away from the promised land, right? And he tricked Esau. He got his birthright, and then he got his blessing. It says... Jacob struggled with God in the early part of his return, in the early part of his life when he was he's leaving, but on his return he met God and then he had a connection with God, a stronger connection. And he says, they must be like their forefather Jacob, you know, Israel should be, as he returns to God and stops working against him. He says they must maintain love and justice. Now, that word love is the, the word for a covenant love. When you enter into a covenant with someone, like a marriage covenant, it's the love a person commits to at their wedding, where you dedicate each other, you dedicate yourself to each other for always doing for their, their good, never for bad, to always be faithful and never go toward anybody else, to always look out for the other's well-being, to never cheat on your covenant partner. And so God is saying, this is what you must do, Jacob, Israel. And justice is to always act justly, to always do what is right, and not do what is wrong when it becomes more convenient or more advantageous, but you always do what is right. And he says to wait for your God. That means follow God's plan. Don't get impatient with God. If God tells you to do something, if the scriptures tell you to do something, just do it. Even if it doesn't look like it's going to benefit you. If it tells you that you should be doing it, just do it. That's God telling you. We, he's saying, do things according to God's ways. Don't do things like, you know, Jacob did at some point when he was tricking people and, and cheating people and that sort of thing. Do things so, according to God's ways. But now the next two verses reveal how Israel has been doing instead of the way God says. So here's, here's how Israel has been acting. The merchant uses dishonest scales and loves to defraud. Ephraim boasts, I am very rich. I have become wealthy. With all my wealth, they will not find in me any iniquity or sin. Israel seems to be confusing business success with righteousness. You know, we can fall into that kind of a trap, can't we? If things are going really well for us, materially, you know, at our jobs, you know, things in our lives, if our businesses are kind of booming, we can fool ourselves into thinking that everything is good and upright. 
even the things that aren't good, even with God when we're doing wrong. You know, success and wealth have a way of coloring our whole world as very good, even the bad parts. We just start gaining this prominence and people are looking up to us and we look so special and, and big in their eyes and it can fill us with this false righteousness or this, this false prominence. It can affect our hearts. It can change the whole way we're looking and the way we treat people. And he's saying that's what's happened to Israel. You know, <clears throat> I read stories of military military, ministry leaders, and they reach huge levels of success. And they've, they've actually tapped into the American success route. You know, because they either write a book and it sells million, you know, sells millions of copies, or they have a church and they plant 20 churches and they're just powerful, roaming all over the place. And in some cases, it just changes them because I've read the stories. <laughs> and they, do, they begin to do things that they never would have thought of doing before they became popular and prominent and successful and had their name out there. And they start taking this power and, and trying to control people, the ones that I've read about. And then everything just blows up. All at once, it just shatters. And this is where Israel is at. But look at 9 and 10. I have been the Lord your God ever since you came out of Egypt. I will make you live in tents again as in the days of your appointed festivals. I spoke to the prophets, gave them many visions, and told parables through them. God is taking them back to the time where he freed them from slavery... He led them, he protected them, he guided them, he taught them through prophets and, and, and all the way through the desert. He's saying that he can, we can go back to that now. We can go back where, you know, you're intense and I'm teaching you and I'm raising you as good people, as God's people. He's taking them back in time. And he says, we can go back to that relationship that we had when you depended on me, and I had to give you water out of the rock, and I had to give you quail flying over your camps, we can go back to that kind of a relationship. He's showing how he truly cared for Israel. He freed them from oppression, and he guided them, and he fed them, and he taught them, and now he wants to resume that relationship. But... Then he says, what is happening in Israel? He says, is Gilead wicked? Uh, Gilead was known for times of uh, bloodshed, you know, wicked bloodshed. And so he's, he's going to the cities that are in, in the land, and he's saying, is Gilead wicked? Its people are worthless. Do they sacrifice bulls in Gilgal? And that's where they built an altar uh, to the false gods and, and worship the false gods in Gilgal. Their altars will be like piles of stones on a plowed field. He says they can go back to the way they were, but they were going completely away from God. 
And then God points to Jacob and Moses as faithful shepherds. Jacob fled to the country of Aram. Israel served to Israel served to get a wife, and so he was a servant. He went there as a servant. And to pay for her, he tended sheep. The Lord used a prophet, that's Moses, to bring Israel up from Egypt. By a prophet, he cared for him. So he's showing how God sends faithful servants to care for his people. And the point is that God did so much for Israel He freed them, he led them, he fed them, he gave them water in the desert, he taught them. Now you might ask, was life easy for them? It wasn't, was it? But he was providing for them. He was winning their battles when they were willing to follow him. And we might remember also that you know, when they came out of, the, out of Egypt, they were going straight to the promised land, weren't they? And then they wouldn't go take the land when God said, it's yours. Go in and take it. They wouldn't do it. They didn't trust him. And so they went 40 years back in the wilderness, 40 years till that whole generation had passed away. And so that was their fault. But even then, even when they were under his punishment, He he guided them, he protected them, and he taught them, and he helped them get through it. And so, you know, I think also, when things get rough, we feel like, well, God isn't helping us. God isn't helping me. Or when things, you know, money runs low, or we lose a job, or any one of a number of things where something negative happens. Well, see, there was a lot of negative here, and God said, I was taking care of you. And so God takes care of us and uses those negative times, those hard times, those times that are rough, in order to build us and strengthen us and help us. And so we would not think back often to times of hardship and say, That was God helping me. But that's what it is if we keep our minds upon him. But at this time in Israel's history, his people are falling away from him in droves. And God is going to tell the story of their coming demise. So I'm going to basically read through chapter 13. And it's a sad story. And we're seeing a nation that's just... Not following God in a faithful way. Here it says, But Ephraim has aroused his bitter anger. His Lord will leave him on the guilt, leave on him the guilt of his bloodshed and will repay him for his contempt. Now here's chapter 13. When Ephraim spoke, people trembled. He was exalted in Israel. So he, he, he was in a very good place, Ephraim, or the nation of Israel. But he became guilty of Baal worship and died. It all ended when he turned to Baal. Now they sin more and more. They make idols for themselves from their silver, cleverly fashioned images, 
all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of these people, they offer human sacrifices. They kiss calf idols. Therefore, they will be like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears, like chaff swirling from a threshing floor, like smoke escaping through a window. That means they have no substance. Anything just moves them out of the way. But I have been the loyal, I have been the Lord your God ever since you came out of Egypt. Oh, thank you. Much appreciated. You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me. I cared for you in the wilderness in the land of burning heat. See, there he, he, they would probably not say he cared for them, but he did. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. That's human nature, isn't it? God helps us. We start to improve. We start to gain. And all of a sudden, we become proud. So I will be like a lion to them, like a leopard, I will lurk by the path. Like a bear robbed of her cubs, I will attack them and rip them open. Like a lion, I will devour them. A wild animal will tear them apart. You are destroyed, Israel, because you are against me, against your helper. Where is your king that he may save you? They're asking for earthly saviors. Where are your rulers in all your towns of whom you said, Give me a king and princes? So in my anger I gave you a king, and in my wrath I took him away. The guilt of Ephraim is stored up. His sins are kept on record. Pains as of a woman in childbirth come to him, but he is a child without wisdom. When the time arrives, he doesn't have the sense to come out of the womb. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Shows you how people get when you start moving into sin. You don't have the sense, you know, come out of the rain or, you know, baby come out of the womb. I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O oh death, are your plagues? Where, O oh grave, is your destruction? This is what God wants to do with them, and will do in the end when people turn back to him. <clears throat> I have no compassion, even though he thrives among his brothers. An east wind from the Lord will come. Blowing in from the desert, his spring will fail and his well dry up. His storehouse will be plundered of all its treasures. The people of Samaria must bear their guilt. That was the capital city in the northern kingdom because they have rebelled against their God. <clears throat> they will fall by the sword. Their little ones will be dashed to the ground, their pregnant women ripped open. <clears throat> so that is God's chosen people. But they made their own choice not to follow God, but to trust in their own wisdom to trust in their own cleverness. And when we start down that pathway of, you know, forgetting God, not following God, ignoring God's word, ignoring him, ignoring our prayers, you know, stopping our prayers, that's when we start thinking 
funny, goofy, wrong. And he says, we don't even have enough sense, you know, to come out of the womb when we're being born. But now God is going to offer them another chance to escape judgment. And it will be moving ever closer to the time of the Syrian, Assyrian invasion. This is in the mid-700s B.C. The Assyrians, they, they were going to the Assyrians for help instead of going to God. And in 734, the Assyrians attacked. And in 722, they captured the, the Israelite nation and took them out of the land, completely conquering them. And Israel had every chance to find rescue and victory in the Lord. So watch as we go through chapter 14. This is the last chapter of the book. And see God's heart in this. And this says a lot about the Lord too. Return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, these are the words they're supposed to take to the Lord. Forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. That's the right attitude to come back to the Lord, isn't it? Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. This is true repentance, isn't it? I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree, his fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your, fruitless, your fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them but the rebellious stumble in them. <clears throat> that says quite a bit, doesn't it? You know, how spiritually blind to continually ignore God's warnings. Hosea's preaching to them, and he's begging them to turn back to God. And you know, as the scholars have worked out the years. They say Hosea's ministry, his preaching ministry, was 38 years. So just think how long they had to be so stubborn not to turn back to God after all the punishment was coming in. Like a baby not knowing how to come out of the womb, right? I mean, just not come out of the rain. Too dense. But you know, we can do that when we get so caught up in the things of this world, can't we? That's what happens. We start looking at the world and wanting all these things and wanting to gain in prominence and wanting people to like us so much. <clears throat> and you see that some of the 
don't know what word to use, people that are so far off are the ones that are worshipped in our culture, the celebrities. They just don't know anything about what is good in life. And they set out, you know, there's some good ones, but as a whole, the ones who have the most, they don't know the truth. They're chaff. But we can do that too in some ways to some degree when we get caught up in the world's things, the world's treasures. When we set our sights on things below, when we start valuing too much the things of this world rather than the things above. And you know, it can happen to anyone, can't it? It can happen to anyone that isn't careful. And so we have to keep our minds and our eyes in the Lord's word and and in prayer and being in fellowship with Christians who can encourage us and help us keep going in the right way, staying in fellowship with God's people, staying in, in, in a church that worships, looks to his word. We can encourage each other, help each other. You know, when I'm down, somebody can help me, and when they're down, I can help them. Because we are fallen humans, aren't we? And we are weak and susceptible. And so we must continue down that pathway of looking to God, drawing our strength from him. And that was his complaint with the the Israelites. They were looking everywhere else but to God. And they were being trapped. And even though they were getting, you know, pummeled and trounced, they just kept going that way. And the word of God ingested in us allows the Spirit of God to take that Word of God and encourage us and teach us and inspire us and help us to think the right way and go down the right pathway. And then as we use our gifts, we help each other. And the body of Christ is strengthened. And so may God be glorified in this local body and the local bodies in our community And throughout our state and our nation, may God be glorified. And not because we are such special people, but because our trust is in the right place. It's in him who is completely special, who has the power to take us through life and and make us winners in a real sense. And so to keep our minds upon him and in his word and allowing the spirit to use that to take us in the good direction and keep our our eyes looking up. And then, may the Lord of all wisdom and glory help us and teach us and have mercy on us. And may we truly set our hearts on things above. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the scriptures that teach us. We see your people going in such bad pathways and wrong directions. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to keep our eyes upon you on things above, in your word, good fellowship, prayer, pray for each other. And Lord, we know that you can uh, take us down the right pathway 
in a good way and really reward us with, with rewards that are heartfelt and, and meaningful and helpful and growing. And we pray that, Lord. We pray that you would help us go in that direction and encourage each other in that way. We thank you for all that you've given us. And even in the hard times, we know from the scriptures that you are there to help us. We pray that and thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.